Hello to our listeners. Welcome to today's episode of the Popcorn Tennis Podcast, featuring me, Shrihari Ravi, one of the co-hosts. And today we have a very special guest on our show, co-host of the Tennis and Bagels Podcast, and one of the contributors to uh, the Popcorn Tennis website. And if you follow him on Twitter, you know that he is one of the best stats gurus, so to speak, on tennis Twitter. I have with me today, Vanch Varmani. Vanch, how are you doing? Well, thank you, Shrihari. That was a pretty lovely introduction. Um, I'm, re- I'm happy to be here. Obviously, I've been a fan of popcorn tennis ever since it started. And uh, been, you know, following the website, written for it myself. And you guys are all doing great work. So I'm, I'm happy to join you today for this show. Yeah, pleasure is all ours. Um, unfortunately, uh, Nick and Jethro, the other co-hosts, are not able to join us today, but I'm pretty sure they'll be happy to have you on as well as a guest on our show. And today, of course, we'll be talking about a very special rivalry in men's tennis, Novak Djokovic versus Roger Federer. Of course, um, once you could uh, go ahead and describe your sort of origin story and how you began um uh, watching tennis as I I would I would say a Federer fan during your early years. Um, yeah, I would uh, I, I would say so. I was um, mostly, you know, eight years old. I was you know at at home one summer, you know, just just kind of uh, bored, not, nothing really much to do, and uh, my dad was just so happened to be watching the two thousand eight Wimbledon final. My dad played recreationally at his local club, and. Um, I was just you know, that. That was just how I. That was my first ever memory of of tennis, watching Federer and, and Nadal play uh, for the first time. It just so happened to be one of the most talked about and uh, obviously most memorable and greatest matches uh, that we've ever seen in the Open era. But through that, it kind of just snowballed a year after year, and I started following tennis regularly, um, more or less in 2011. And of course, that's when uh, the decade really sort of changed and. Uh, and Novak, who we'll talk a lot about, really just sort of took over and cemented his place as you know one of the absolute legends, uh, greatest players to play. And we had this three-way rivalry and dynamic. And you know, I started out mostly as mostly I was just in awe of how easy Roger Federer made tennis look, and just sort of the contrast with him and him and Rafa and some of the narratives and just their stylistically their matchups on clay and grass. Uh, I found that narrative to be to be interesting and of course you know Rafa broke that with winning the 2008 Wimbledon final and beating Roger on grass for the first time but then things just completely changed when uh, when Djokovic came in the picture and then we had three of these fantastic rivalries on a really consistent basis and um, to me I always loved the way uh, Djokovic and Federer matched up against each other I just loved their athleticism on play on display I liked how their games sort of complemented each other they both rely on precise shot making and, um, you know, with Rafa, it's that heavy forehand and there's a lot of different sort of sort of attributes. But I think Federer and Djokovic are similar in a lot of ways that I think uh, and they're similar and different in a lot of ways that provided for great contrasts, but also great, uh, uh, great rallies and, comp- and, and uh, clash of personalities. So, yeah, really just uh, that's kind of how it all began. Yeah, I think uh, you couldn't have encapsulated the you know landscape of men's tennis during the last decade and a half better. 
Uh, obviously, I think uh, by now everybody knows, and those who listen to our show, you know, know that I am an avid fan of Novak Djokovic. But one thing that you may not know is that amongst the three big rivalries, the three biggest rivalries, let's say in men's tennis in this millennium, Djokovic versus Federer is my all-time favorite rivalry, and I should say my all-time favorite matchup as well. Uh, a lot of reasons I think have been listed by bunch already, but I should allude to that by uh, saying that you know just matchup wise the contrast in both of their game styles and how that is translated to so many you know amazing points uh, worthy of highlight reels. Um, I think every single, uh, pretty much every single match that they've played, you could at least, regardless of um, you know what the score line is how how the players played on that particular day or if one of the players um, just did not show up regardless of that i think each match would definitely um, have at least a 5 to 10 minute highlights reel you know of some of the best points because um, they just bring that out of each other and this rivalry i would say sort of has uh, occupies an interesting position in the history of uh, men's tennis because uh, it was contested in a generation where you had two of the biggest rivalries, Roger Federer versus Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic versus Rafael Nadal. Um, And this rivalry was unique in a way that their primes never coincided or overlapped. Um, But still, obviously, for, uh, I I would say, the first... uh, uh, 15 to 20 matches you had Roger Federer you know at his prime and Novak Djokovic still uh, you know being um, rookie to Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal he did he did score a few wins against Roger Federer but was pretty much outmatched and uh, outclassed in you know majority of the matches that they played uh, and then came Novak Djokovic's prime in 2011 where he started to just like like Manch mentioned you know change the landscape of uh, men's tennis started to dominate uh, the scene. And that is when he, I would say, pretty much turned the tables on Federer um, in the rivalry. Of course, it did end uh, it, it did end as a pretty fair, fairly balanced rivalry, at least as far as numbers are concerned. Um, but yeah, even their matchups, if you were to look at it, um, the, most of their best matches decided by the finest of margins. And um, yeah, just, you know, some of the shots these two, uh, you know, bring out of each other. It's just, uh, you know, a sight for sore eyes, I would say. Um, so with that, let us uh, also, I mean, of, of course, we, you know, touched up on our origin stories in this, um, uh, as far as the rivalry is concerned. So I, I want to ask you, Bunch, uh, what do you think, uh, at least from your perspective, makes Roger Federer so great? And, you know, one of the, um, why is he, uh, one of the greatest players ever, at least regarded uh, as that by all of us? Well, I mean, obviously that is a loaded question, but I'll try my best to to answer it just focusing on tennis. I think, yeah, of course. Um, um, I think he brings this really complete arsenal in his, in his toolkit. I mean, obviously he, you know, when he was at his very best, he was he was the best player, you know, across all surfaces in terms of, um, like hard courts, especially and grass and indoors, and even on clay, he was second best to Rafa. But I just felt like his game was so complete in a way that, you know, very few players before him 
played in, in, in terms of the way he served. Uh, obviously, pinpoint accuracy and precision, and that only got better with time. Uh, one of the best forehands, just absolutely dictating play with it, looking to to finish with it at all, at, from anywhere on the court. I mean, just really, really good variety and tennis IQ. Um, you know, obviously, and he, he, made, he, he made these difficult things in tennis, like, uh, you know, bouncing back from tough defeats or, uh, you know, continuing a dominant stretch of play, whether it be the 2004 to 2007 period or even the period, uh, you know, in between 2011 and 2012. It always just felt like he was in the mix uh, competing for these big, big titles. And it just, you know, he just, his game evolved and got so much better over time. And he, uh, you know, he played with such commitment and there was this, uh, this intensity, but at the same time, calmness with which he played that I think, uh, you know, makes him, makes him really fun and appealing to watch just because you just knew that no matter which uh, opponent he played against, you always knew there was going to be one or two points that would just take your breath away or make you gasp by, I think, his fluidity of movement. Uh, and, you know, obviously people mentioned the grace, but he was able to package that together with, um, you know, insane fighting spirit and grit as well. And just, you know, packaged it in a way and it matched up really well against some of the best defenders in the game. And um, yeah, I mean, I think his movement and his footwork should really be studied uh, because, you know, there's there's something about the way that he, he moved and played so effortlessly that uh, made him a very efficient player as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think you just when you combine all those things, both defensively and offensively, you, you know, you have one of the game's best. And um, yeah, just it complemented it so nicely in the, in the Djokovic matchup. Yeah, I completely agree. There's not uh, one point that you made that I can really dispute, to be honest. Um, of course, being on the other side of this uh, rivalry, being a Novak fan, um, you know, there, there are times when you are completely in awe of all of these aspects and at the same time it's hard to especially when they're playing against each other uh it is hard to at least for me um you know fully appreciate and acknowledge uh what makes this guy so great roger federer that is uh, because all of these qualities are the ones that are going to come to fore when he is uh bringing out his best tennis um against novak Djokovic, which you would expect him to do right one of his biggest rivals and one of the best players ever to pick up the racket. Um, And it is, again, when I'm rooting for Novak Djokovic to win the match, but I still know that, you know, the the opponent on the other side of the net is one of the toughest ever players Djokovic has played in his career. Uh, You you know, in the heat of the moment, you're just completely flustered and annoyed uh, by you know how good the other uh, other guy is you know on the other side of the net and now that you know the dust is settled at least as far as Roger Federer goes he retired just over a month ago uh, it is a lot easier and of course you know there is no match uh, that they're never going to play each other again there's no match that we really look forward to uh, at least potentially it is a lot easier for me to look back at some of their best clashes and appreciate uh, Roger Federer even more and what he brought, um, you know, know, to some of these uh, matches, um, especially. uh, I should mention there are a lot of matches that these two played, which, you know, if not for Roger Federer being as good as he is, um, would have been a lot more straightforward, um, uh, you know, 
a lot more straightforward victories in general for Novak Djokovic. A few matches that come to mind are um, Wimbledon 2014, uh, Indian Wells 2015, and I should say that there are a few others, of course. Um, of course, the Australian Open 2016 semifinal, which looked like an absolute demolition, 6-1, 6-2 up in 49 minutes, Novak Djokovic, and you would not really expect that match to end as a four-setter. Uh, we will come to this later, but let me share uh, what makes Novak Djokovic, from my perspective, as great as he is. Um, without going to too much detail, of course, we can have a separate uh, show for Novak in this aspect, even for Roger. But, um, you know, long story short, it's just um, the way uh, he goes about his business, right? He has his unique way. Uh, I think I don't think it can really. Although there are a lot of players who try to emulate him game wise, it's not. It's pretty difficult to completely um, model all of your uh, habits and routines. Uh, you know, before in the match, during the match. You know, completely after Novak Djokovic, he is just uh, on the court. He is just. He's so complete. You cannot point at one aspect of his game and say that that's a glaring weakness um you cannot um uh that again there is no one shot that uh players would you know go out to play against uh, uh him and try to uh, sort of exploit uh it is really difficult to try to find ways to beat this guy at least technically and of course you know how especially in the best of matches if you see uh, the focus which, which, with which he plays all of them, the intensity and the concentration uh, that he brings into all of these matches. He's not going to give anything to you. Uh, he will make you sort of uh, commit all of the uh, errors and probably sometimes even like hand some games to him just because he's lingering long enough, he's pressing you long enough that you would crack. Uh, and... I should say, you know, coupled with that, his flexibility, his, uh, you know, the way he moves on court, especially at 35 and a half years old, uh, is I think, I don't think we'll ever see this ever again um, in tennis. And of course, um, you know, his backhand down the line, that if that's, if there's one shot, you know, that, that would define him, it would be that shot. That's just, you know, a sporting marble. Um, and that, you know, you know, I could go on, but, uh, you know, I think I've covered enough about uh, Novak and what makes him so great, at least technically. Um, and yes, you know, in their prime, I think one thing that's similar between Novak and Roger is that they are so dominant throughout the season. And there, there would be only one, a few tournaments where they probably would uh, not uh, bring their very best or would just completely be outmatched. But you would expect them to go in as a favorite to every single tournament, especially in some of their very best years. I would say 2006 to seven for Roger Federer, 2011 and 2015 for Novak Djokovic. A lot of parallels that we will get into uh, shortly as well. So yeah, technically, I think we've covered what makes both of these players as great as they are. Now, I think we should probably talk about their matchup. And of course, we'll go back to Vunch. Uh, I do want to ask this. Uh, this is something I feel strongly as well. I think between Nadal and Federer, Roger Federer is definitely the tougher tougher matchup for Novak Djokovic. What do you say? Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because obviously uh, 
you know, Novak, he calls Rafa his greatest rival. And to me, that makes sense just based on, you know, the deal, some of the deals that they've had. You guys covered it a lot in detail in your previous shows, but especially like, you know, you know, those physical, uh, you know, lung busting exchanges they used to have in their, in their primes of their career. And then the 2018 Wimbledon match that they played, of course, there's many, many others. They played 59 times. But I think with, um, with, uh, Roger, what made it so tough is that it wasn't as surface dependent. Uh, whereas with with Rafa, you know, there was some, you know, Novak essentially when he's at his very best on a hard court, or just playing, you know, just like at his ninety percent best. Let's say, you know, he he. There are some patterns, especially cross courts, on both cross courts, where I, where I feel like he has a significant edge over 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 Nadal, particularly in the last nine years when whenever they've met on hard court. But when and so the pattern is much more clear. It's just that Nadal brings this kind of intensity. But with Federer, I feel like it almost the surface was kind of irrelevant whenever they played. I mean, you can see that in their rivalry as well. Like they played eight clay court matches against each other, and they split they split them four apiece. And I mean, they played each other like you know thirty eight times on a hard court, and Novak just edged at twenty eighteen, and you know, and, and on grass it's three one and some of those Wimbledon finals and some of those, I mean, they literally hinge on one or two points. That's how close and inseparable some of these matches were and, and some of the biggest matches that changed the course of tennis history and the, the race for most majors and all these other stats. So I just feel like they were able to uh, bring the best out of each other in, in especially in, in, in more memorable ways, I would say. Um, even though their matches didn't, you know, they, they weren't the physical lung busters or but they, they just had a different athleticism and way about them because they both relied so much on precision and they you just felt like I mean Roger had to go through so many different tactics and ways to get the ball out of Djokovic's strike zone right I mean if you see the way that they play against each other and of course you know Novak himself and being the great returner that he is combined with you know Federer's you know spot serving and just it just made it so compelling i think uh and and of course you know very very uh often the most the, one of the most impressive things i i found for djokovic is that when he was playing against roger i mean it happened with rafa as well in some matches but almost always he was playing against the world right because you know and i think djokovic at first you know maybe didn't maybe didn't always understand you know why the crowd is not for not, not supporting him in some of these matches, but Federer always had that luxury. He had the crowd supporting him no matter where he played for essentially most of his career. But I think, you know, so Novak had to find that extra resilience and that extra gear in some of these moments when he faced Roger. And that was mostly unique to Roger only. You know, when he played him in the Wimbledon final, he basically had to trick his mind and convince himself that uh, that they're cheering for him, which is, you know, which is unbelievable that he has that mental strength and ability to. To, to find that and some of that is his upbringing some of that is just just how ironclad tough he is and the way the circumstances in which he grew up and he's able to bring that fire on the court and uh and, and you know it just it just pushed some of these matches it made it made Federer kind of you know in many against many other players that you know these patterns just seem to work over and over again and they were repeatable but against Novak it you know, it just felt like Federer was having to win these points, like maybe six or seven or eight more times than he would against anyone else. And so I think, uh, yeah, across all surfaces, 
um, I would say this is about as close as any rivalry can really get. Yep, I uh, I have to concur with most of the points and pretty much everything that you said, um, especially um, the point that you made about how this rivalry was never surface dependent. Um, I think with Djokovic and Nadal, even though it's 30 and 29, Djokovic's favor, it's extremely surface dependent. Um, you only, maybe you can make an argument about how, um, okay, if they would were to play on clay, you could expect uh, Djokovic to match up better to Nadal than if they were to play on hard court and, you know, how Nadal would match up to Djokovic. But uh, that being said, with Federer and Djokovic, it didn't really matter, um, you know, which surface they played. They played eight times on clay. Uh, if you were to just look at the records, both of them. Novak Djokovic, at least statistically, is the better clay quarter. He's had more success on the surface than Roger Federer has. But the things that stand out are he's the one, Roger Federer is the one to break Novak Djokovic's 43-match winning streak, uh, which started from 2010 December during the uh, Davis Cup. Was it November or December? I think probably December. All the way to Roland Garros in 2011, which was... uh, you know, one of the best starts to the season, 41 matches unbeaten, going into that Roland Garros semifinal. Federer uh, playing one of the matches of his life, close to 30, which, by the way, at that time, you know, was closer to retirement age. And I should mention that Roger Federer was the one who sort of uh, set the gold standard for, um, uh, you know, playing close to your peak level, even when you're well into your 30s or even like past your mid 30s. Um, Nadal and Djokovic, the only way, you know, the only, one of the main reasons they were able to replicate that is because Roger Federer definitely pushed them in that aspect. I mean, if you were to take uh, Federer in 2014 uh, to 2015, uh, or let's even uh, include the 2016 Australian Open, uh, you know, he was denied. Uh, like three or four Grand Slam titles by just one man alone, that is Novak Djokovic. And Novak Djokovic, of course, being in his prime, absolute best in 2015, all the way to mid-2016, was the only thing that was stopping him uh, from winning, you know, the several Grand Slam titles. And even there, I mean, uh, you know, he was, in a way, Djokovic's biggest rival for a while there when Nadal sort of, uh, you know, dipped out of the scene for, you know, various reasons, you know, loss in confidence, some injuries. Yeah, he was just completely off for two whole seasons until he actually, uh, you know, came back with a bang in 2017. So, yeah, these two went at it quite a bit. And it's not like Federer was just, you know, taking beatings from him. He Federer was also defeating Djokovic in some of the biggest tournaments, if not Grand Slams. We had the Cincinnati final in 2015, which was quite one-sided, even though it was a 7-6-6-3 scoreline for Roger Federer. Uh, we had that match at the ATP finals in around Robin, where Federer, again, comprehensively pretty much beat Djokovic, 7-5-6-2. Uh, there was also that Dubai final earlier that year, where, you know, the second set, uh, Djokovic, I think he was up a break, and he also had a set point at 5-4 on Roger Federer's serve. But Federer just completely denied him and ended up winning that match in straight sets. I think, uh, again, bringing bringing one of his best performances in, you could say, Djokovic's best season, at least statistically. Uh, I don't think there there aren't many other, aside from maybe Federer's 2006, there aren't too many seasons or probably no other season aside from that that comes close to 
uh, Novak Djokovic is 2015. And from the six losses he he took that season, three of them were to Roger Federer. Roger Federer, of course, not not the Roger Federer we know from 2006, seven or uh, you know 2009 or 10. It was well into 2015. He was uh, knocking on mid 30s there. So that, I think uh, it obviously uh, you know the the matchup it didn't really change in dynamics wise as the uh, you know as one player aged or you know as the other player also like started to get older. Um, if anything, I would argue that as Djokovic sort of uh, you, you know, uh, ended his prime and sort of had his resurgence in 2018. Federer started to become a tougher matchup, and that's why I feel like the rivalry sort of is hanging suspended in an ambiguous spot. Because if you watch their Wimbledon final, I I don't think if not for Djokovic having such a mental stranglehold over Roger Federer with all of those uh, you know Grand Slam final wins. And being as mentally strong as he is, I just don't think he would have, uh, if not for that, he would have not beaten Federer. I don't even think the match would have gone five sets because Federer was uh, outright the better player. Uh, he just completely outplayed him for the vast majority of five sets. I, I can only point to the three tiebreakers where Djokovic was better. Um, but again, that would be, I guess, 30 minutes of five hours in that entire match where he was better. And that just was in, good enough for him to beat him. But then you could see that, you know, Djokovic, in a way, of course, like uh, he, everybody declines that, you know, tiny bit, at least, at least with these three guys, it's a tiny bit because of how good they are. Uh, so you, I think Federer sort of uh, uh, managed to emphasize it in a way that this guy is not, uh, you know, uh, he doesn't probably move as well or return as well as he did in his absolute prime. And, you know, he, a lot of times, like Djokovic was uh, dead on his feet on, you know, trying to return Federer. So we couldn't, even if you take their encounter in Paris the year before in the semifinal, zero of 12 on break points. Um, and Federer converted is the only break point that came his way. Um, so I think Djokovic, you know, just purely uh, through his mental strength, uh, he came through those two uh, absolute cliffhangers. And yeah, I should say that, you know, matchup wise, Roger Federer is definitely the tougher one uh, compared to, uh, you know, Rafael Nadal for Novak Djokovic. And numbers don't say, numbers don't tell you the entire story, even though there's a differential of four here and there head to head. So many matches were decided by the finest of margins. What is 27-23 very much could have been 26-24 or even 25-25 if you were to take... uh, uh, you know, one of the two U.S. Open semifinals that they played with Federer, Roger Federer held match points. I would go more towards the 2011 one because he did have match points on his serve. Uh, so, yeah, there were so many matches that were decided by the finest of margins. And that is what, uh, and, you know, historically they have gone Djokovic's way when, when the matches have gone down the wire. Um, so, yeah, uh, coming back to, you know, the dynamics of this matchup, I think we covered quite a bit. Um, so I, you know, having followed you for, you know, more than two, two years now, you've come up with a lot of fascinating tweets, uh, both historically and topically, as far as tennis goes, you have, you know, come up with a lot of, uh, stats about these big rivalries that people were, you know, sort of be mind blown while reading them. Um, so why don't you, uh, any, like it, you know, there could be a few stats about this rivalry that stand out for you that are 
quite bizarre or mind blowing that you know you think everybody needs to know? Are there any that come to mind specifically from at least based on what I said, you know, about their matches matches historically? Yeah, I think something that would tie it into what what you were saying before about uh, you know the matches being decided by the stimulus of margins. I think you have to look no further than the the, the fact that they played fifty times. Djokovic has won twenty seven of them, yet he's won fewer sets. Fewer games, fewer total points, you know, fewer like, like, you know, and, and yet he's won the most matches. So I think that just goes to show that it really just hinged on, like, because they were so even, I would say, um, in, across all surfaces and in most of the formats. Um, like if we just look at, for example, let's say best of three versus best of five, you know, they were fairly, they were just so close. Like best of three, uh, they played each other 32 times. And this is across all surfaces, and they both won 16 matches each. Right. And if you look at the majors, Djokovic leads that now decidedly 11-6, and he's won the last five, uh, last six matches in in, in majors, including uh, you know the last time Federer beat him was in the 2012 Wimbledon semis. Yes. So over 10 years ago, and but um, if we just look at it, re- really, they played four or five setters, and they all went Novak's yeah. way. That's a huge feather in his cap. Yes. In terms of uh, you know being able to win those those matches, I mean, no one else has been able to do this against Federer. I mean, you know, save match points in the fashion that he did, and then gone on and gone on and won. Even in the two thousand, so obviously we know the three matches that I'm talking about are the two thousand ten U.S. Open semis where Djokovic came up with some incredible forehands. Um, you know, really, really gutsy. I don't think Federer did anything wrong in those two points. Uh, you know, he was just on the back foot. Yes. Uh, and he and Djokovic comes out and he wins that match. And okay, he loses in the final, but that was sort of the start of, of uh, a really eventful decade for him. And then 2011 was really big because uh, obviously you mentioned Federer breaking Djokovic's streak in the uh, in the French Open semis of 43 matches won and 41 and zero in the year. And you know he had beaten Rafa as well in, in the Madrid final, Rome final, and he really had his number and even Rogers throughout the year. But then U.S. Open. Federer finds himself two sets to love up. Djokovic wins the next two sets rather comfortably. Federer serves first again in the to start the fifth, and he goes up 5-3, 40-15. And what does Djokovic do? He comes up with probably the most defining shot of this century, in my opinion, which is this, uh, you know, cross-court forehand return winner, smack on the line off a Federer. I think it was a second serve. He missed the first serve, but or maybe oh no, it was the first know, serve. He went. It was one. the first serve, yes. Yeah, and and you know Federer hit a spot pretty like it wasn't. You know, I've seen him place it better, but I but he definitely, he, it definitely would have won him the point against. Yes. I like, think the second one, uh, no, it was not the second. I think the second one was off a missed forehand, or was that a double fault? Or the, was the right, double it fault? Was a, it was a it was a missed forehand. It hits the net court and bounces back. Yeah, on bounces, the side. and the double fault I think and, was on break point, right? Yeah, and and at this point you could clearly see at forty fifteen. I mean, Djokovic, like, I mean, obviously he believes he always believes in himself, and he believes that he can turn any situation around. But even he had to be, had to be feeling like he needs something really really special, and he needs some luck to go to go his way. But yeah, uh, I mean, the way he pulled that shot off, yeah. and then he got the crowd going, and then it just really snowballed from there, and he just took over the match and won the next four games, and and then and then and ended up winning the final as well, beating Federer and Nadal back to back. Yes. So that was that was really big to do that two years in a row and 
and obviously, I mean, Federer is usually a very good sport in, in, in most of the matches, and he's he's known for, for his sportsmanship and class. But that day, even he was just, even, even he, like, just, uh, you know, it was not one of his proudest moments, but even he, like, he, he just could not believe that, yeah. that someone could do this to him two years in a row. Yeah. And, you know, he, he mentioned that, you know, Novak just essentially got lucky and he started slapping these balls around. I don't think he really meant that. I think, uh, yeah, I, think I mean, that's huge. Back on it now and, and think, yeah, I mean, this was just the start of maybe the toughest player that I've ever played. And, yeah. uh, and only he is really able to do that because, you know, there's a lot of other matches that Federer has lost from match points up and he's won just as many from match points down. Yes. But nobody has done it three times like the way Novak did. And of course, then the, the, the 2019 one, we all know. But I think the pattern is that in all six of those match points, Djokovic had winners on four of them. Right. And uh, and so, you well, know, as much as people like to so, say right? that, that Federer choked them away in quotes, uh, I personally don't believe that just because yeah. I think that does a disservice to both of them. I think yeah. it does a disservice to um, to Novak, obviously, because then, you know, you're you're discounting how clutch he was in those situations, but also but also to Federer because really like, you know, who else could really do that to him? Like, it's not so un- unbelievable when you think about it that he hit that forehand cross-court winner because... Like he is the greatest returner that we've ever seen in, in, in men's tennis. I mean, obviously Andre Agassi probably hits more return winners and you could argue maybe Connors at his best, mm-hmm. but the amount of balls that Djokovic is able to get back into play and force the opponent to doubt himself. Yes. In these moments. And the depth yeah. with which he gets it back as well. Or what, yeah, exactly. And he's able to just get it on your shoelaces and, yeah. uh, and, and then, you know, just really take over. He, he returns and then, offensively defensive way which is just it's so hard to I've not seen this from any other player basically in these in these kind of moments and so and then of course I have to go back to the 2014 Wimbledon final as well yeah because that was a match that it looked like Novak was going to win it from a set down in four sets yes and and uh, you know he'd obviously been in this path where he had lost seven of the 13 slam finals that he'd played and so he was, you know, starting to doubt himself a little bit in these in in, in these matches uh, when it got to the finals, particularly, you know, after the 2012 Australian Open, you know, where he he pretty much won one major after that in 2013, and then like he was still having, you know, he was still in his best form, but he wasn't winning as many majors as he was before. Yeah. So then they go into this match, and Federer is up five two, and he has uh, he has a match point as well. Uh, I, I mean, sorry, Djokovic has a match point and he's up 5-2 and, uh, you know, Federer serves, saves it with his ace and they, then he goes on and wins the set 7-5 and he has all the momentum. And, yes. and there's also and, that 4-all game, 15-all, where Federer has this smash put away and he nets it. Kind of a turning point. Right, yeah. And it's, yeah, that was one of the turning points. Exactly. Yeah. And, then, you know, and in a way, I think Federer did to Djokovic what Djokovic did to Federer in the 2011 US Open final. Ex, a semi-final, except that Novak did it in the very, the very last set of that match. You know, three five down. He just, uh, you know, once he gets that break back, the, it's a completely different match. One of the most dramatic turnarounds. You know, you would have anybody would have witnessed in, you know, between such high-profile players and at you know one of the biggest stages in you know in the world at a Grand Slam semi-final doesn't get better than this. Federer did that too. You know, two five down, he holds and. There's also that break point at three five three for Djokovic, where I think Djokovic just ends up slipping, uh, you know, yeah. after hitting his last shot. And Federer easily could have missed that forehand, but he gets it. He breaks. 
Djokovic has match point. Again, Federer raises it with, you know, with an ace, which Novak did challenge, but it caught the line pretty comfortably. And obviously Federer went on to win that set and everyone thought, okay, you know, this is quite, pretty much deja vu of how he tried to turn around in 20, 2008, where uh, it was, I think, in the tiebreaker fourth set against Nadal. Uh, Nadal hits a passing shot and sort of squats as he's celebrating going up championship points, fair championship point. Federer again comes up with a backhand pass out of nowhere, really. You couldn't have scripted that kind of a shot. And then he takes that set and we, we think, okay, he takes it uh, from here, you know. Uh, but, you know, the kind of mental strength, I mean, we know that Nadal was, able, was capable of that and especially the kind of... Um, advantage that he held over Federer in that uh, historically in that matchup but to see Djokovic do it especially after a spell of uh, quite mentally denting defeats which I think the uh, cherry on top was that Roland Garros semi-final loss against Nadal just the year before that which I think sort of started that downward spiral in you know clutch moments where he would just in a way turn off and you know, like start doubting himself. And I don't I really don't want to use the word choke, but yeah, you know, not not exactly choke, but you know, just isn't clutch enough to close them out when he has to. Uh we did see that kind of nature in pretty much every uh, in in some ways, in every Grand Slam defeat since uh five two up in the second set against Andy Murray in 2013, Wimbledon loses that. Uh, in straight sets against Nadal, we you know the third set all you know very close to getting a double break and love forty at four all in the third set. Nadal wins that, uh, losing just one game from that point. And again, upper break in the fifth set against Wawrinka and the Australian Open twenty fourteen fifth set upper set against Nadal at RG in the final. Okay, sure, not that the match was really on his racket in the same way you could say it was in the previous and you know previous two losses but i think that was really the turning point for him that match where he started to believe that okay he is you know he can uh, uh, uh you know if he if he lingers for long enough and turns up the screw just at the right time and you know he has the courage to you know stamp his authority and close out matches uh, that's why i think that match in very large, in large part, is uh, added to his clutch aura. Uh, you know, that is, I, I don't think it's ever going to dissipate. I mean, he's 35. He's still one of the clutchest players out there. You can never really point at one match where he's, and say, oh, but, he, you know, he was not very clutch there. He should have won it, but he ended up losing. Not At least not many, maybe one or two at best. And that's if you really have to nitpick. Um, right. So I think that so match I think, definitely. I think you make a good point. Like it kind of all stems from that 2014 match for me because, I mean, if you look at his major record in finals before that, it was six and seven, right? Yes. And since since that winning that fifth set basically against Federer in that 2014 Wimbledon final, breaking and breaking Federer when he was serving at four five to stay in the match. Yes. He's won. He's gone on and won 15 of the next 19 that he's played yeah. in in finals. So it just it just, you know, that's a complete 180 turn. Yep, it is. And uh, also, uh, there's something that I uh, had to mention, you know, stuff that would blow my mind. Djokovic, when he's a set up, he's lost only once to Roger Federer. He's never lost to Andy Murray. Yeah. He's lost, I think, three times to Rafael Nadal. Um, and, you know, I think it's just... And out of those three times, twice were on clay. Uh, one was the Madrid 2009 semis, and the other one, of course, the 
uh, Roland Garros 2014 final. And then the other, which not really talked about, the 2007 Wimbledon semis, which I, he didn't even complete that match. He was just, you know, his toes were filled with blisters and he was just completely uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, destroyed physically from his long match against Baghdadis in the quarterfinal just before that. So I guess uh, that doesn't count for as much. He would have lost that anyway. I don't think that set lead really meant anything. Um, so yeah, uh, there was that. And I think when that happened with, uh, jo- in, with Djokovic that he did lose from a set up was so interesting because Federer's coming off his worst season, at least, you know, from the season, like complete seasons that he's played pretty easily his worst. I think he finished the year ranked five or six outside the top three for the first right, time six, in, I think and was... right probably six outside the top three for the first time I think in many years um probably more than a decade at that point um right but, yeah yeah 2002 he finished six and then right you know, always since then he was top yeah. three so and then there's the Australian Open I think that was quite bittersweet for him because he got those wins against Songa and Murray back-to-back. He played both of them in that exact same order around earlier, except in the year before at the Australian Open. He beat Songa in the quarters in five sets, lost to Andy in five sets in the semis. And not only was that his only defeat to Andy at a slam, but that was his last ever defeat as well. Um, And then obviously he goes into the... He beat Songa comfortably in the fourth round, where... I thought, okay, it won't be easy because, you know, Federer's not, not the Federer he used to be, and, you know, Songa. And Songa also beat him in their last uh, Grand Slam encounter in 2013 at RG pretty comfortably. But Federer wins that. I think it was 3-5-4. and four. He goes on to beat Andy Murray in a match that was shaping up to be very similar to their 2010 final. But Murray did snag that uh, third set somehow. But Federer did end up winning that in four sets. But he plays Nadal. And Nadal obviously being, uh, you know, in the form of his life at that point, uh, having the incredible 2013 season that he had and playing at such a high level uh, up until that point at AO, uh, obviously pretty famously uh, defeated Grigor Dimitrov in that quarterfinal, you know, from a set down. That was, you know, an unbelievable level that he showed. Uh, The first set is close. It's a tiebreaker. But then Federer is just like no match for Nadal. And that match ends in a rather disappointing fashion. Not, uh, I, I think uh, that was Federer's, it was just his second straight sets loss at a Grand Slam to Nadal and probably the only one that he had outside clay. Um, so I thought, okay, Novak, you know, I, I didn't put too much uh, stake into that loss he uh, took against Wawrinka in the, at the Australian Open. Goes into that match in Dubai, he's pretty dominant, goes up three love in like 12 minutes or something, goes a set up. Uh, I was following all of this on the radio, by the way. I was out with family at the time. And I come back home. Uh, not only is the match all square, but Federer has break points to, you know, go up a break in the third set. And he does so. He go not only that, he goes two breaks up. And, you know, he's serving 15-40 at 5-2. And then the commentators are all excited. They thought, okay, Djokovic, uh, I, I think he had break points. I'm not sure. I do remember um, if he's man- if he manages to get this break here and then manages to hold for four or five, it could be very interesting. But no, Federer just denies him and like wins that match. 
and the way he did. I remember that match had a lot of highlight reels. That Dubai semi-final in 2014. Pretty right, famous one. He's won from a step down against. Yes, Novak at the 23 of matches he's won. Yes, so, exactly. Um, and against Nadal, I don't know. Um, I, I, I can only recall the Hamburg 2007 final and the Miami 2005 final. There might be other matches that are not coming to mind. You know, when we talk about matches that Federer's won from a set down, I don't know if there are more. Probably should be. Um, yeah, there's but, definitely a few more. I mean, against yeah, Rafa, there was just those two in Hamburg and Miami. And against Djokovic, there's the one yeah. in Dubai. But yeah. I think, you know, over time, as this rivalry wore on, it just, it was more important for Roger to win the first set. Yes, in because this match, I would say if we were to talk about Djokovic, right? I think there were three matches that he won at slams, beating Federer from a set down. There were the two U.S. Open semifinals. There was the 2014 Wimbledon yeah. final. Uh, yeah, and about like four others as well, right? Like Indian Wells. I remember. Yes, in at Masters. Yeah, there you have the. Then you have the two in 2009 as well. Those two. Yeah, are, Miami and Rome. Yes, the back to back. So yeah, and also yeah, like you mentioned, Indian Wells in uh, 2014. Is there another one that I'm missing? I sure think I the Paris Masters as well. In the, oh, yeah, 2013. Yeah, uh, Federer was up a set in a break. Uh, that was a right. uh, yeah, pretty bizarre match, I should say. Um, so, yes, that's another uh, another match. So, yeah, and, you know, they're, you know, sort of, Federer almost did it again in their last, um, what do you call it, Grand Slam final match. That was in 2019 at Wimbledon, of course, a very famous match. I don't think people need to be reminded of that, but um yeah, and that's like goes to show how like over time, especially uh, we didn't at least until their match, at least uh, considering their matches until 2011 or at least the end of 2010, we didn't have much of a sample size to work with to sort of uh, you know conclude what exactly it is that Federer should do against Djokovic or like Djokovic should do against Federer. Uh, so that he, you know, he has, he puts himself in this, the best position to, uh, you know, beat him because he only beat him six times in 19 clashes until then. But now that they've, they for what, what were 19 clashes now is 50. And looking back, you know, which obviously no, you know, one day Novak is going to retire. So is Rafa. But, you know, it's still, you know, it's kind of hitting me now that we, we're never going to see this matchup again. It's pretty sad. Obviously I had, uh, you know, the slightest of hopes at RG last year. Okay, if they play in the quarterfinal, it could be interesting for a set at least. I never ruled that aspect out. Uh, you know, Federer obviously was playing well, but he just decided it was um, best not risk continuing. Um, what do you call it? Yeah. After that third round, he went for four hours against Dominic Kepfer, which was, I guess, a wise decision. Uh, as far as his knee is concerned, but it's you know it is sad that we'll never see that matchup. Hopefully, we'll they they play an exhibition at some point, you know, in the near future. But um, yeah, so let's go. Let's we spoke about the matchup. We spoke about um, uh, you know where Novak sort of holds the edge, um, and I should also and yeah, sure, maybe he also sort of holds the edge when it comes to being the front runner. You know, the stat that we just presented, like seven matches. From a set down that Novak has won, as opposed to one for Federer. Right. Uh, we should, I think, talk about their best matches. Uh, both one, uh, and obviously we start off with the more underrated matches that people 
generally don't tend to talk about. And these are matches which mostly I should say would come at the Masters level or in at the ATP finals, uh, you know, generally on the ATP circuit uh, outside of the Grand Slam. So uh, why don't you tell me some of the matches that come to mind, which you would say, okay, that's pretty underrated. People, people don't talk about it. Hmm, yeah, it's interesting. Like their career-defining matches have all been in, in slams for sure. Um, obviously, we already talked about those four matches that give Djokovic the head-to-head and make it 27-23, right? But yeah. I guess um, in terms of their matches and masters, I would say one that, or honestly, one that really stands out is still 2018 Paris in the semis. Mm-hmm. Just because, I mean, obviously Djokovic, you know, had just won Wimbledon, he'd won the US Open, he'd won Cincinnati, and he'd won Shanghai. Yeah. Number one, and uh, and go on this run. Meanwhile, Federer. Right. Um, I should say that um, thirty-seven cut off. You got cut off uh, when you mentioned uh, or you got he won Shanghai in twenty eighteen. So, like, I would need you to. Okay. Repeat. Okay. I'll, right. I'll just repeat. I'll cut this. this off. Obviously, yeah. Um. Yeah. You can hear me. Can you hear me now? Now I can. Yes. Okay. Good. I think there was just some noise. I'll. Uh. Yeah. It shouldn't be a problem anymore. Yeah. But. Yeah, no, so I was just saying that uh, this match is compelling for many reasons. And one of that is obviously the comeback that Djokovic was on, uh, trying to get back to, at this point, uh, which wasn't a goal in the beginning of the year. It was just to get himself, you know, properly seated and go for go for number one maybe next year. But he was in a position to get to year and number one, having yes. won Wimbledon and US Open and Cincinnati and Shanghai. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, Roger was, uh, you know, compared to his 2017 season, and of course, he's getting older now. He's 37. Um, mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he's at that point, he'd still won Rotterdam. He'd won Australian Open. He'd won Stuttgart. And he'd won Basel the week before, but his form was less convincing. Um, definitely, I remember going going through Basel that whole tournament thinking like that was one of the one of the longest times in a while that Federer hasn't looked nearly the same himself. Um, he yeah. was having a lot of dips in form in terms of his serving and his rhythm from the back of the court was off and he went and played Paris the next week and mm-hmm. started showing some better form against Nishikori. And that's when I thought that uh, this match could be, could be interesting, but it looks like Djokovic is probably going to be the heavy favorite. Yeah. But having watched that match, it was seven, six, five, seven, seven, six. And once again, Djokovic wins, uh, you know, won the tie breaks and never broke Roger's serve, but they had some really, really good, rallies in there it was over three hours and um pretty much just decided by again like the slimmest of margins Federer had a set point in the first set yeah and Djokovic comes back and just refuses to miss uh hits with great depth wins that set um and then and then Federer comes back and breaks him in the when he's serving to stay in the match yeah and he takes that second set seven five and then the third set goes to a tie break and wasn't the best of third set tie breaks. Um, yeah, Novak ran out to a six one lead pretty quickly. Yeah, but but I would say the match itself as a whole up until that point was really was really exciting and and fascinating and an interesting dynamic that Djokovic uh, that it was Federer who saved all those break points and twelve out of twelve and 
Djokovic was still able to come out, come out on top. But yep. you know, I think Federer was pretty pleased with the level that he showed, and it felt like you know something was clicking on on his service games, especially because that obviously carried over into Wimbledon as well. And even though he lost, you know, yep. you know, he pretty much never really got broken, uh, apart yeah. from like you know, I think the first time that Djokovic broke him was in the fourth set. But yeah, it was, it was five two, was and of two course he set. did go up four two in the fifth, but he was immediately broken back. But I would say that's one of the more, you know, lesser talked about matches. I mean, Djokovic didn't go on and win the final against, against Hachinov that, that next day, but uh, I think a lot of that can be attributed to how physical this match was. Right. Definitely. Um, so, I mean, that's one that stands mention. out in terms of, in terms of competitiveness, best of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 2014 Indian Wells match was a good one, but I'd still think, uh, I think quality-wise, this was probably better. 2018 yeah. Paris, Yeah, I would still say. Yep. And uh, um, I would also mention the 2012 uh, final at the ATP finals in London. Yes, that is one that, uh, that definitely is... Very interesting, interesting because you would think Federer would have won that in straight sets. I remember he won the first 12 points of the match. Uh, three love up uh, in no time. And then Novak, you know, sort of claws his way back slowly. He breaks back. He serves for the set. He has set point and everything. He gets broken back. They play a tiebreaker. And obviously there's that point at 6-5 where Federer is, you know, scrambling at the net. And, you know, Djokovic gets that, um, you know, drop volley back. And Federer, you know, moves a bit back and, you know, hits a forehand passing shot and cross court. And if he celebrates, but then... He loses the set from there. Novak wins at eight six in the breaker. Uh, Federer's right. up a break. In the there are set. some parallels there with the with the twenty eighteen Paris match. Yeah, because you found oh, like yes. yeah, both times Federer had set point, but he was still recovering from that high of getting to set point. Yes, and exactly. Djokovic, you know, just resetting because it, you know, Federer having to play like pretty much one of the shots of his life. Yeah, to get to to get to that point. Yeah, and then he 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 made uh, an unforced error on the next point, yeah. and you and feel Novak like that was an after effect. Yeah. Of, and know, then there's that second set where yeah. Federer served for the set five four forty fifteen, but Djokovic yeah. breaks back. I mean, a couple of errors from Federer, and then you know, Djokovic breaks back. He lets out a huge roar, uh, and then the championship point is just something you know out of this world. Um, actually, you know, Federer yeah. on uh, you know I think some people. Uh, drew uh, parallels uh, between that point and in, in some ways that point in the 2019 Wimbledon final but Federer's forehand mm-hmm. was I should say a lot more potent in 2012 and the way Djokovic you know, was on the stretch you know, on the forehand side first if Federer goes inside out he still covers that not only does he cover it but you know he uh, blitzes that down the line that backhand for a winner and then you know he starts to just go ballistic he's won that title uh, yeah you know that's one yeah. of the best championship points you would see from Joker yeah one of the best championship points you will really ever see because Federer did nothing wrong on that, on that approach yeah he didn't do much wrong for sure uh, another underrated match I should say um, would be the 2011 Australian Open semi-final, I think was a high quality for those three sets. Federer right, yeah. had his chances, you know, second set, 5-2 up, uh, which was bizarre because Djokovic went to break up 2-1 and he goes 2-5 down. 
uh, and he's uh, fighting at Deuce. Um, but then obviously from there, he wins five games in a row. So quite a seesaw of a set. Um, and then third set again, Djokovic, early breakup, 4-3 gets broken back. And then there he shows his mental strength and tenacity to break immediately again. And he closes out the match. Um, but again, pretty high level throughout the three sets. I think um, I would say it's better than their 2008 semis uh, in a way. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really high level of tennis. Up there in terms of straight sets. Yeah, and when Djokovic, yeah, when Djokovic won the Australian, I, I think to not many people surprised when he beat Andy Murray in the final, even though Murray had beaten uh, Djokovic in the last three encounters. Um, again, you know, then he, everyone was like, okay, maybe let's see how this translates because he has won the Australian Open before, but oh, the way that season shaped up after, I think, you know, really memorable start to a even more memorable season. Um, they have never played, there's just one tournament uh, that they've never played at as far as the big tournaments go, that is Madrid. Uh, so close in 2019, there was that match that Federer was playing against team. He had those match points in the second set, but team was just too yeah. clutch in that tiebreaker and he ends up winning. Uh, I think, you know, how do you think that match would have panned out if they played the semifinals in Madrid? Yeah, I think it would have been very interesting, obviously, in altitude. Um, Federer's won Madrid uh, twice, yes. once on Brooklyn and once on once in 2009 when Djokovic and Nadal played this epic. Yeah. four-hour, three-minute match. And then I think, uh, you know, Nadal was quite fatigued and tired, understandably, in the in the final, but Federer played a good match to beat him. Yes, he did. Uh, but in, in terms of that, in terms of that match, it would have been very fascinating. It would have just hinged on one or two points, based pretty much, and come down to the wire in terms of tie-break. And it would have been interesting to see, see tactically. I mean, you would still have to give Novak the slight edge, but yep. it would have been, it would have been a very... Uh, I have no doubt it would have been a very close and compelling match, like some of their other clay court matches, which yep. brings me to the 2011 Roland Garros semis. I wouldn't say that's underrated. I think that's always talked about quite a lot. Mm-hmm. But that was another, you know, match where, you know, I could easily make the case and say that's Federer's greatest clay court performance ever. Could be, yes. In terms of um, what he had to also, do. Also, uh, you know, definitely up there as one of the best four set matches at Grand Slams. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think of too many. There are some that, uh, again, like, I, I mean, you know, the level from start to finish pretty much throughout. Obviously, last year's semifinal between Djokovic and Nadal at RG had its moments, and especially the third set, I think, was some great tennis, but levels sort of fluctuated, you know, throughout that match in a way. The fourth set got out of Nadal's hand pretty quickly, and the first set was bizarre. Also, five love up and Nadal needs a seven set point at five three to close it out. So yeah, in terms of and you know even if you look at the twenty eleven semi final, Djokovic is two set points at five four uh, on Federer serve, and then he serves for the fourth set at five four. He's broken back by Federer. Um, so you know again, I think Federer in a way gave Djokovic a dose of his own medicine in that match. I should say yeah, definitely. That, that's what stuck out really. Yeah, and uh, and you know the fact that uh, you know Federer generally in those backhand backhand cross court rallies that they used to have, it it you know it, this is where the tactics come into play. It's much different than when Federer has to play Nadal, 
because he knows the game plan is it's clear and he cannot slice a backhand because if he does, you know, he's going to give Nadal lots of time and especially on clay and that's going to make, but with, with the, against Novak, he really has to use it smartly and mix it up Yep. because, um, you know, backhand to backhand Djokovic is going to have the edge most of the time and come on the upper hand. But in this match, Federer was able to hold his own in those backhand to backhand exchanges and he was able to serve, you know, so well on the slow clay court and win some of those, these longer rallies. That yep. throughout the whole year, I mean, Djokovic was by far the best player. And so I think, I mean, that match has to be up there with one of Federer's greatest triumphs, even though he didn't win the final. Yeah. Um, Which again, and, kind, and, kind and, of unfortunate, and, you know, if you look at the first three sets, especially the first set, few fine margins, especially that Nadal drop shot at 2-5 set point for Federer, you know, uh, from yeah. what I saw in the TV review, the ball, uh, the the ball tracker said that that drop shot did land out. The mark showed that it was in. It was a little weird, but yeah, and, yeah. and I mean, the way Federer snagged that third set as well, seven five. He just didn't have it in him after you know Nadal just cranked it up and it was proved too much, you know, towards the end. They also played a pretty good match, I should say, in Madrid, um, which went three sets. Federer was up a set. In that semi-final, um, yeah, and I think you know a few other matches that, and to, oh yeah, the Wimbledon twenty twelve semi-final, another underrated match, I would say. Um, yeah, really. that's 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 one of those where where uh, where you, you could say that was the the one of the last of Federer's sort of uh, period between oh four and oh twelve. Yeah, you know where he was regarded as regarded as the most successful player, right? And yeah, it's sort exactly. of, you know, that was that was also another match, yeah. where they split the first two sets, and then it really came down to uh, to the third, yeah, towards the end. And I still yeah, remember it that. It was I mean, I, I cannot and, really. I don't have much regrets about that match at all. As a Novak fan, I think he was just outmatched in every department. Um, obviously, at that break point in the third set, at four all, uh, to serve for a two sets to one lead. Uh, nothing he could have done with, you know, Federer, I think, uh, either. It was an unreturned serve, if I remember correctly. And also, uh, you know, that set point Federer did so well to, you know, maintain his composure and take it from Djokovic. Uh, went up a break pretty decisively, I think, midway through the fourth set. Uh, one The only annoyance that I had then was, I think, Djokovic sort of, uh, scooped the forehand return and you know it sort of it was deep it landed pretty deep um, and it was called wide but it, it did catch the line and the point had to be replayed because Federer did you know play the shot after and he was right, aced and it fall, it was followed by an unreturned serve but I mean again that really wouldn't have wouldn't have changed anything in that match I think Federer was just he just bossed Djokovic there um, really high quality match under the roof Let's talk about some of their best matches and do another short segment, which I'll get to, you know, shortly what it's about before we close. The best matches, um, maybe we will stray away from Wimbledon 2019 because um, I think you and I, we remember a lot more matches, the much higher, higher quality uh, compared to this. This match had its drama, had its moments, but definitely I can yeah, think of a lot and I would say historically of... it was, you know, it was significant and, I think also the fact that uh, you know Federer in the past those two match points, yeah, uh, you know Djokovic usually ran away with it fairly yeah. comfortably after that. But I think this time, 
I think Federer actually deserves some credit for hanging around and even getting the two break points at 11 all. And yeah, I mean, sure. it was kind of a strange anticlimactic ending. Uh, with the yeah, and, and if you remember one of those break points at 11 all, Djokovic judged to perfection that slice going wide. Ah, uh, right. And uh, there was also that horrendous smash. Um, oh yeah, yeah, and then that's Mark afterwards when he just yeah, goes, oh my gosh, that, that I mean, that such a because I think uh, I think probably that's the one regret. Maybe Federer could have done a lot more with that forehand because yeah, that volley, Djokovic, yeah, that you know, and Federer was sort of approach was tamed on that volley, and then um, yeah, I would say even more so than the than the match point itself that, yeah, that that's Federer true. approached. I mean, because yes, you can argue it was not a not a great approach; it was too central. And maybe he should have gone the other way. Maybe he had too much respect for Djokovic's uh, open stance backhand abilities. Or maybe, you know, just slip of the moment, feel of the moment. You just kind of go with your gut and your instinct and you just, you get past like that. But, you know, I mean, he took that on the chin and he's, he still had his chances afterwards. So it's not yep. like he completely faded after that. No, he didn't. And I, like you said, he should be given credit for that. Again, came so close to breaking and serving for the match again. Uh, yeah. Because that sort of reminded me of his Olympic semi-final against Del Potro in 2012, where I think he served for the match at 9-8, got broken right. back, and, then... uh, and uh, it went on until 17, all he broke again, and he served it out finally, uh, but, you know, 19-17 in the third set. Um, right. Yeah. That and I, I just sometimes I think, you know, if because, I mean, if you imagine a reverse scenario where Federer actually wins that match. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was going to be a different kind of a narrative for Novak, having yep. been up two sets to one, having been up four two. Then everyone yep. would be pointing to that four two game, right? And that yeah. you know four two deuce, and it is yeah, so never lost a Grand Slam match to Federer from a setup, and then also two sets to one up. Not many matches that he's lost. I remember the match against Meltzer. I guess that counts as a loss from two zero up. And also there was that right. loss uh, to Eastman in the Australian Open of 2017. Yeah, really yes. not many. You you don't expect him to lose so many matches when he's uh, sort of uh, you know established. Um, I mean, it, it would feel uh, in you know those matches that he's uh, you know established his authority in that match. But here it was just like that two sets to one lead felt very misleading. So you know, I think right. if you were to look. Very, I mean, from a, a you know, just from you know, a numbers perspective, you can you could have easily said, Oh, Djokovic bottled that. I even had a few friends of mine who don't even like follow tennis and they saw the score and they're like, Oh, Djokovic is bottling. But I was like, no, if, if you understood the tennis and the score convention, and if you actually watch them play, you would realize that you know, the, the reverse could be said. Like, Federer should, yeah. be, should have been a winner by now. Comfortable. Yeah, and, and I'm sure, you know, Federer fans probably don't want to hear it, but it's like kind of the, kind of a big uh, feather in the cap for uh, the tennis scoring system, just in a way, just how genius it is. Yeah. That you can sure. actually win a point match like that, you know, having lost 15 or 14 fewer points. Yeah, and if you were to look at the stats of that match, uh, 94 winners to 54 for Roger yeah. Federer. Um there were just the 12 difference of 12 errors and one first errors. And what's right. even more mind-boggling is that if you were to take the three tie breaks in isolation that they played, Federer committed 12 errors throughout those three tie breaks and Novak committed zero. That is literally yeah. where the differential comes from. And two winners. And those two winners came at 4-3 and 5-3 in the... Yeah, that's like true. Like in the fifth set at 12-hole. Like it's... 
yeah it's yep. bonkers really yeah and and it's not even and even the unforced errors that sure federer had 12 more but for the number of winners that he had i think that's still in his favor because he had a much better ratio winner start right. and, and i mean pretty much every stat he had like i mean every stat yes exactly um, every single one even total distance run he had more which is yes like, that is that is that absurd. Is one you would expect, but it's, it's just really absurd. So yes, I mean uh, that's testament to the tennis scoring system how unique it is. Uh, you put out a tweet that went vi- viral, right? Um, after the Australian Open final this year, you know the tennis scoring system. Whoever invented it is just pure genius. Uh, yeah, I think it yeah. blew up to four thousand likes or something like that. And, you know this match. Yeah, I think that was just a good timing on my part. Yeah, because, for sure. This match again, good. very good example of that. Um, right. So you know, but yeah, I mean that's what the, that's what happened in the end in that one. But I guess if we were to talk about other maybe yeah. you know matches, I would say the two thousand seven uh, Rogers Cup match. Yep. Really gave. Uh, had to have given Djokovic a lot of belief in 2007. Yep. Having pulled that out the way he did against against Federer, who's you know who is all those cinematic parallels in that match in the U.S. Open final they played, serving six five forty right. love. Player goes on to lose the first set seven six on both occasions. Djokovic is even up four one in the second set of the U.S. Open final again. Uh, maybe this goes in the category of underrated matches i think the us open 2007 you know, final again had some uh yeah. rallies it goes back to the uh, overarching point which is that um you know it, it doesn't matter where they play what the score of the match is eventually take even that 2006 monte carlo uh, third round or second round match whichever round there was you know you had some amazing points there too doesn't really matter that much. How and even like I would say one of their worst matches, the 2012 Roland Garros semi-final. There was that point at one all in the second set where Djokovic, uh, I remember, he even hit a tweener, and then from there Federer sort of you know ended up volleying that, right. and uh, you know Joe, you could see Djokovic you know gasping for his breath, and he's also you know smiling at the end of that point. It was like 40 love, I think, um, and one yeah, all, second all love all, one all either way. Uh, he did get broken from 40 love in that game, I do remember, and that was the game. Um, so yeah, and yes, the 2007 Rogers Cup, of course, the 2014 Wimbledon final, you know, uh, you know, as we should speak about it. Uh, some of their grand slam, you know, exclusive to grand slams, some of their best matches. You the both of the US Open uh semifinals, you really uh, in 2010 and 11. Um, but right. by both, I mean the two that Novak won, of course. They did play two others. Um, they yeah. played U.S. Open finals for four consecutive years. It's kind of mind blowing, really. Um, right, and I mean, and obviously the 2015 match. Yeah. Where uh, you know, once again, like Djokovic, I would say even more so than the Wimbledon 2019 final. He was really up against that crowd. I mean, that crowd is a very different crowd than. The, than yeah, the I mean that was just flat out rowdy, like you know. Um, the Wimbledon crowd, I mean, the worst they did, I guess, was, uh, you know, sort of cheering, you know, on Djokovic's, uh, you know, some of his uh, shots, like thinking they would go out. Uh, I mean, the only time they times they cheered for his faults or anything was like towards the uh, important stages, not like throughout the match like that uh, US Open crowd did. And 
that that again is talked about for Djokovic celebration to I mean, yeah, very interesting match too because Djokovic goes up two breaks in the fourth set 5-2 and Federer snags it back and he has three break points at 4-5 to bring it to 5-1 and Djokovic did, he was uh, drawn to some uh, a long rally where Federer I think he hit a forehand long and that went back to deuce and you know that would have been insane if Federer got that back to 5-all um and of course the set, the third set was also interesting Djokovic goes up to break he gets broken back and he's down break point Federer to you know serve for the set um and yeah that match had its moments too both players didn't exactly bring their optimal best but the dynamic was pretty much there you know when Federer is the one he's you know hyper aggressive and he's you know Djokovic backs against the wall both you know because of his opponent and the crowd and he still comes out of that uh it's one match and yeah there was definitely one yeah there was the 2015 one, uh... Wimbledon final also like the first two sets were just you know tennis from another planet Um, yeah, oh, that second set. I mean, where Federer saved yeah, seven set, set points, points. and then Federer unreal. saved. Uh, Federer had a set point in the first set. Djokovic saves that. Plays an amazing tiebreak. It's like, it's like you know, Federer should have won the first. Djokovic should have won the second, but they flipped. Yeah, it it just completely flipped. And then Federer has that break, two break points at you know one love in the third set. Novak holds, and there's this yeah. bit of a rain and delay. Federer gets broken in one on forty fifteen and. Yeah. Is that shocking miss that he has on his forehand, which again, yeah, you know, don't think he misses that in, against other players. But. Yeah, and that match, I should say, Djokovic's best ever performance on the grass court. I don't have yeah. much doubts about yeah. that. Yeah, um, those last two sets were just near perfect. So yeah, and the whole match, like he was getting every return to Federer's shoe. Um, if you look at the, I remember Federer's reaction, like in yeah. that trophy ceremony. You know, he's just like. Yeah, he said you're too good, man. Like you know, I've never seen him. I never uh, the, uh, before saw him say that about Djokovic. Um, yeah, and then also, he was like, "Yeah, it's kind of insane." You're too how... good, just like you were last year, the year before that, and the year before that too. And yeah, like, yeah. And he said he said all of that with a smile and with yeah, you he, know, he just he, he definitely point. meant that. He didn't have too many regrets because he knew that he was just outmatched completely, um, and you know, very much in, in a way like the. Uh, 2012 uh, semi-final, but this match obviously Djokovic just brought yeah. different level altogether. If you look at the ace stat alone from 2014 and 2015, holy crap! Like Djokovic, you know, I think Federer ended up serving 15 aces more or something like that in the 2014. Yeah, know. there was that 2014, and and that he also had like one game where he had four aces in a row, and boom, that was the he just held like within minutes, and he was kept putting pressure on Djokovic, but then yeah. And and yeah, that, throughout that third set in the 2014 final, like Federer was acing right. his way in, in you know through service holes, Djokovic clutching that tiebreaker, you know, uh, yeah, the 2015 of course, um, and yeah, at best of three, you know, the I should say, uh, I, I would say just another 2014. thing about this rivalry, it kind of feels right, like the player who is six years older, yeah, you know, was winning their matches in the beginning, like two yep. thirds of the time, and then it just flipped. Yep. The other way, like with Djokovic winning twenty one out of thirty one, it's like every major that they played, like Federer won the first meeting, Djokovic won the last. You know, it was like 
Yeah, and and look at the trajectory as well. It's so similar. Like even the up until Wimbledon this year, the Grand Slam finals record was exactly the same: twenty-one wins right. and was it ten loss? Twenty wins and eleven losses was it? Yeah, yeah. And twenty eleven, twenty eleven. It was yeah. Like, it was crazy. And but another crazy stat, which I think um, you know, it's not it's not something like you you'd have to dig it. But I was just curious. Because the you know the big four have played each other so many times, and usually one is always in the way of the of another, and they're supposed to meet and stuff. Yeah. But I was looking at it, and it's like you know they've played each other fifty times. Yeah. But like that's out of like eighty-eight times that they could have played in total, because yes. there were like thirty-eight times where like one was in the next round, and the other just had to win one more match. Yeah. You know, and it was like, and I think it was nineteen times where like even there it was balanced. You see, it was nineteen nineteen. So yeah. it's like you can just imagine, like Split right down the middle. Um, and like you mentioned, the you know head to head at on hard courts and grass courts again, just two matches differential in favor of Djokovic. Again, very fine margins. Could have been two two on grass. Could have very much been nineteen nineteen. Again, going back to that U.S. Open semifinal, like but picking out matches where I'll give Federer the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, you know, he should have won. This match, nine out of ten times, mats on his racket. He's serving for it. He has two match points on serve. Um, so yeah, again, I think those matches like literally flipped, um, you know, the uh, yeah. the table on Djokovic's favor. Um, <laughs> you should mention there's this like really funny exchange at the Labor Cup this year mm. in a press conference, right? Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where uh, Novak, like he couldn't help but mention the 2019 final. He just he does say sorry before that, but um, yeah. and then before that he mentions 2007. You know, he said, you know, that's that's one you know major where you know that really sort of gave me the belief that I could win yeah. these big matches. And Federer's like, you're you're being nice now, you know. You're, <laughs> yeah, and then Novak unleashes it, um, yeah. and, and then, you know, then Federer, just Federer said like, yeah. oh, you know, he like I've forgotten about that match. Like that, yeah, I, I blocked it out. It's really nice to see how they have come to a stage where they are comfortable, like joking about that kind of match. Um, I for a while I thought that completely. I mean, we did see them sort of quite chummy during the 2018 Labor Cup. Uh, right, I, I'm just waiting to see. Like, I know it's not going to happen, but I'm just imagining a world where like the their dinner from the night mm-hmm. before gets leaked. Yeah, <laughs> so their video yeah. coverage or something. <laughs> yeah. Like four. Yeah, exactly. That would we'll yeah. probably hear many more of these type of exchanges. Yeah, yeah you know, it's interesting to me that Casper Rule mentioned that the four like they would sort of be on their own during the Labor Cup dinner parties and everything, right. and they would share inside jokes. That is quite nice to see here, of course. Um, and yeah. it is, I think, Novak and Roger this year, especially, like definitely, you could say that they started sort of gelled more. Uh, naturally than they did. You would say la- it was cool to see them on the same side of the net in 2018, but we just felt like there was something that was keeping them a bit apart. Um, and it didn't like, also didn't feel right, I would say, in a way, because the, uh, the spice between them is what made the rivalry also so special. Uh, the fact that they yeah. sort of disliked each other. you know. The but I, I, I always appreciate it still, like how, you know, they could, you know, they 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 could just see it as like a, a tennis match, and they could like, sort of. They, I think they had enough respect for their careers and each other that as a person that it was, it it it, it felt like ideal. But because Federer and Nadal are so close, and because of their, because of how that 
narrative has been in the last whatever seven eight years yeah it felt like oh they were you know they were kind of they, they don't really like each other but actually really that's kind of how i thought rivalry should be all along yeah i i do agree with that and that added a lot of spice for sure uh, of course federer and all the rivalry was special because of also that bond that they share uh between uh, you know one another but this yeah like sort of uh, different person personalities initially a bit polarizing for sure um and you would see the handshakes were quite cold for a very long time um obviously i think it all changed uh started to at least change for the better in 2014 when both of them became fathers djokovic for the first time of course and they would in i think federer like spoke about it a lot as well that they had a lot of uh, you know discussions uh, about being dads right um that also uh started to you know make one warm to the other but they also maintained that intensity on court regardless um like, which yeah. now of course I, I, if federer was still active and they were to play at some tournament we we would still see that for sure um yeah but just uh, you know the such a titanic rivalry got a you know fitting and sweet ending i would say uh, and yeah on that note thank you for uh, listening to all of this if you stuck around for long enough and <laughs> it was it was a long episode for sure but obviously we had to uncover a lot you know in this rivalry and great to have uh, you know one of my long time mutuals a really good friend of mine as well bunch uh, you know on this podcast to discuss uh, this epic rivalry with and on that note we'll see you soon and make sure to follow us on all of the various streaming platforms as well and make sure to support our podcast as well and bunch once again thanks for coming on and it was great having you yeah thank you so much rehari i really enjoyed it as i always enjoy talking to you and picking your brain on tennis and uh, i think we we vibe really well and Uh, yeah happy to call you a friend too right yeah so we'll see you soon here of course hopefully and to the listeners we'll be back soon as well